Well, if you have a Bible, would you please open with me to the book of John? We'll be in John chapter 10, looking at verses 2 through 5. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. If you don't have one, but you want one, raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, you're, you're free to keep the one that we hand you. And once again, thank you for joining us today. We're in John chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. A very crucial passage of Scripture, I believe. Because when you really think about what it's saying, uh, it changes everything. And here's what it says. Jesus is speaking here. He says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So we just finished a series last week called Respectable Sins. And next week we're starting a new series called Seven Questions Jesus Asked. And we're, I'm excited about this one. We're going to be looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked. And Jesus asked a lot of questions. In fact, um, I think... If you read through the Gospels, you almost get frustrated with how often Jesus responds to a question with a question. You're like, come on, man, just shoot a straight once, would you? Uh, but it, it doesn't happen all the time. And, and when you start to dwell on those questions, you start to learn that actually sometimes Jesus' questions are more piercing than any statement could be. And so that's why we're going to do a series called Seven Questions Jesus Asked. And I hope you'll join us for that. So today is kind of a standalone message. And I'm actually... Um, pulling something out of the archives here. This is, I preached on this about a year and a half ago, but I want to preach on it again because I think that it is really important and really timely for us in where I think we are as a church and what God seems to be doing in us this year and where I think we're headed as a church as well. And what I'm talking about is I think that God is doing something among us in the area of prayer. Now, in February, I believe it was, we did a series on prayer and we actually ended up extending it. We canceled the next series that I had planned and we kept going. We doubled the prayer series um, because it just seemed to be something we needed at the time. And uh, we also have some other things happening. You've heard Pastor Megan announcing um, the last few weeks, inviting people to join the prayer team or to become trained to be a prayer counselor. So we have a prayer counseling team that's going to be kicking off here shortly, which I'm really excited about. This fall, um, in fact, starting next week, you're going to hear us talk a lot about table groups. We're going to be pushing table groups. If you're not in one, we've got a few new ones that are starting that you could join. We've got a few others that have room in them for you to join. So there's lots of opportunity there. But, but one of the groups that we're starting is going to be devoted specifically to prayer. And so if this is something that God is working on you in, maybe you might want to consider joining this group that we're going to talk about next week. Um, and, you know, also at the ministry center, right now we're rearranging things in the ministry center in order to start a prayer room in our ministry center. And so I'll talk more about that maybe towards the end of this sermon, but this just all goes to say that God is doing something in us about prayer. I think that he's calling us to be not just a church that prays, but a church that makes prayer central to everything that we do. And I'm really, really excited about that vision that, that, that God seems to have for us. And so we're going to talk about hearing God's voice today because it's an absolutely critical skill for a follower of Jesus. And it's something that I think we get a little bit nervous about, weirded out about, about sometimes. 
And so I want to challenge us today to lean into that um, wisely with discernment, but to also recognize that as we just read, the sheep hear his voice. They know his voice. Now, I'll admit I am a skeptic by nature. I like to get to the bottom of things before I believe them, uh, particularly when it comes to somebody who said, quote, God told me. I'll tell you what my internal thought or my internal monologue is when I hear somebody say, God told me. It's something like this. <sighs> That's about how it goes. Because we live in an age of spiritual hucksters who have mastered the art of deception and have had, gotten many people to follow them all because God told them something. The Bible even warns us to be on our guard against false prophets. These are people who claim to speak for God, but they're actually just out to build their own kingdom. So we got a lot of reason to be a little bit wary, don't we? But here's the problem. One of the most assumed facts in the Bible is that God speaks to people. Nearly every chapter of the Bible has it. The Bible simply assumes that God speaks to his people and that they can hear him. That's why I'm learning that skepticism is not the mindset a believer should have. Skepticism about whether God can speak to me, look, this has shipwrecked our faith in the modern West. It has hollowed out the core and left us with an empty shell. To those of you who have a skeptical streak in you like I do, here's what I think the Bible has to say to us today. It's this, we must follow Jesus out of skepticism and into wisdom and discernment. You know, some people who are skeptical, I've probably used this before, they just kind of try to dress it up as wisdom. They're not the same. If you're afraid of being misled or tricked by some crazy false teacher, the answer is not to get more skeptical about whether or not God actually speaks to people. Rather, the answer is to go the other way. We must develop our own relationship with Jesus so that we have the wisdom to know when someone is telling the truth about God or not. The ability to recognize the voice of Jesus is one of the defining characteristics of his followers. I mean, it's just assumed that this is something that we are going to do. Listen, your life, your task is this. I know you have a job that you like or a career that you're devoted to or whatever. Guess what? All that's secondary. This is the point of existence. It's that we might know God. And so we must make this a priority in our lives. Our passage today says that the sheep, quote, listen to his voice. And not only that, that they can distinguish between his voice and others. It says in verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. That's how the sheep are supposed to behave. Guess who the sheep are? It's us. We're the sheep. So here's the question for us to answer. Do I have the ability to recognize God's voice? Can I distinguish God's voice from the burrito that I ate for lunch? Is hearing and obeying the promptings of God a regular occurrence in my life? Learning to hear God is arguably the greatest task before us as followers of Jesus. So listen, we need, to, we need hearing God to be the norm, 
not the, except, not the exception in our lives. For all of our theological sophistication, we have lost that which is most basic, which is listening and obeying Jesus. One of the questions people often ask about this is, well, I mean, if we're supposed to hear from God, why doesn't he make it more obvious? Why is it that it seems so hard to know what God is saying to me? Why wouldn't he just speak clearly? I have two answers for that question. The first one is this. Sometimes he does speak clearly. In fact, if we were to give a poll or take a poll of this room, I think we might be surprised at how many people would say, yes, there has been at least one moment in my life where God has clearly spoken to me, where I was left with no doubt that God was telling me something. I even think that if we went out on the street and just started asking random strangers things like, hey, has God ever shown up? Has God ever spoken to you? You would get the occasional, like, there is no God, right? You'd get that, right? Uh, but I actually think we'd be surprised at how many people would say, you know what? I'm not a church person or anything. I don't know about that religious stuff. But there was this one time where something happened that I can't explain. You'd be amazed at how many people have a story like that. So many people. God sometimes does speak to us clearly. But of course, we must admit, much of the time, we wish it would be clearer, don't we? So why is it? Well, the second answer to the question is that God doesn't always make it obvious for the same reason your spouse doesn't always spell out what they want either. They want you to pay attention. God wants us to pay attention. He wants us to become more and more the kind of person who knows what God wants without having to hear a command from on high. That's just called becoming Christ-like. That's called just becoming a person who knows what God will do, what God wants. So we don't have to necessarily ask. We don't have to fast for a week and pray in order to figure out what God wants us to do because we've been formed into the kind of person who does the things that God would do if he were us. That's the whole point of discipleship, by the way. And so sometimes God just wants us to learn to pay attention because in the process of paying attention, we become more attuned to who he is. Just like with, if you're married, just like with your spouse, as you learn to pay attention to them and to the things they say and the things they want, the things they love and they like, you become better at doing the things they would want without ever having to ask them. Dallas Willard says, great faith, like great strength in general, is revealed by the ease of its workings. Think about that for a second. A, a very strong person picks up a heavy object easily. It's not hard for them. And similarly, somebody with great faith, somebody who has given their lives to cultivating the ability to follow Jesus, well, obeying God is no longer hard for them. Doing the things that God wants them to do doesn't require some Herculean effort like it does for us sometimes because they've just learned to naturally grow into the kind of person who does the things that God wants them to do. So where do we begin when it comes to discerning God's voice? Well, we have a wealth of um, wisdom from 2,000 years plus of people hearing the voice of God, not only in scriptures, but also in church history. And some of the greatest spiritual writers have, have spoken of similar things. And we now call them the three lights, the three lights of hearing God's voice. These are three conduits through which God's word often comes to us. The three lights are these, circumstances, impressions of the spirit, and scripture. 
These are the three conduits through which God's voice often seems to come to us. Now, when Natalie and I were much younger, we were faced with a really big decision of whether to leave the church we were serving and go plant a new church. Not Table Church, a different church that we helped plant before Table Church. Now, the job that I had, this was my first job in ministry out of college. I was the worship pastor. I wasn't a lead pastor or anything, but it was a, it was a very secure job, particularly for um, like a staff ministry position. It was a wealthy church. Um, just everything about it was pretty solid and secure. It was a good job. And here we were thinking, I think maybe God might be telling us to quit this job and go help start a new church, which would, which would offer us like basically no financial security whatsoever. That seems ridiculous. But is it the Lord? And, and so we went on a, a season of just trying to discern if it was God. And I remember I had two prayers that I was praying over and over. One, I was like, God, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need a job, like to something, some way to make money outside of the little bit of time or money that I might be able to make from the church plant. And number two, I said, God, if this is your will, I'm praying that this would not cause division within the church that I'm currently serving. God, let the leadership of that church see the benefit, see the value, and send me with their blessing. I don't want to cause division. I don't want to cause disunity or rumors or anything like that. And I think that God values unity in his church. And so I thought this is probably a prayer that maybe God would be willing to answer if it's, if it's his will for us. Now, as to the first prayer, the prayer for a job, I remember I went and I asked my buddy who worked at a music store, because I'm a musician. I said, hey, you guys, you guys got any, uh, any openings? You need any more help around here? He said, no, we don't. I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll try something else. But uh, probably two, three days later, he calls me and he says, hey, my boss just asked me about you. Now, I'd never spoken to his boss. He knew who I was. I was kind of in there hanging out a lot, playing the instruments and stuff. He said, hey, is that pastor friend of yours who's always, who plays all those instruments, would he want to teach lessons out of our store? Would he want to start a studio, a lesson studio out of our store? And I thought, well, there's something. And in case you don't know, teaching music lessons, it's not only can it be flexible, but it's a very lucrative for a part-time job. It can, it can be very lucrative. And it was actually perfect. I taught piano and guitar and trumpet for, for about a year as the church started. And so once that happened, I, I thought, okay, Lord, I'm listening, I'm listening. Uh, but as to my second prayer about making things, you know, not difficult with the church I was at currently, I thought, okay, well, I guess I need to go talk to somebody. So I went to my lead pastor, and I remember the day very clearly. We were outside walking around the church having this conversation. And I said to him, hey, Natalie and I, we've been praying about maybe going with this church plant. What do you think? By the way, it was a church that that particular church was starting. They were launching it. And uh, I thought, what, what do you think about that? And he did not like the idea. He was not thrilled. Um, if he were here today, he'd tell you, because it's actually kind of a funny story. He, he has this whole thing. He's like, I remember where, where I was when we landed on the moon and when the Challenger exploded, and I remember where I was when Phil Wiseman told me he wanted to leave my church. And I'm not kidding. He has the story. It, it, like, he, he was not interested in losing his worship leader, you know, any more than I would be if Jay came to me and said, Phil, I think God's calling me to another church. I'd be like, no, he's not. Come on, man. That's how he felt. And I, I went away and I thought, okay, well, I guess, I guess the Lord is, is kind of closing that door, you know. A couple days later, I got a knock on my office door. It was my lead pastor. He poked his head in. I, we hadn't spoken about it again. He poked his head and he said, hey, 
I've been thinking about that church plant thing, and I could see how this would be a win for the kingdom. He said, I think you should go. And I thought, how am I going to explain this to Nally? But that's what we did. So we went and we planted a church, the Ransom Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, grew quickly, reached many, many lives, and 10 years later would launch us out to plant Table Church. Now that's an example of a time where God brought circumstances and spiritual impressions, impressions of our soul, and of course scripture into alignment in order to show us the path that we were pretty sure he was calling us to follow. But I need to warn you about something here. These three lights that we're talking about, they are not sufficient for identifying God's voice. Like, you may really feel like God is calling you to do something. Circumstances may align for it to happen. It might be a generally biblical kind of thing as well, but there's still another needed element. You need to be able to recognize the quality of God's voice within those things. After all, lots of people feel like it would be cool to be a missionary in some exotic place. And, you know, the Bible obviously has a a good attitude towards mission work, you know, like it's in the scriptures. And, you know, maybe you have some friends or a mission organization. They're like, yes, you should come. And so you're like, oh, look at this. It's all lighting up. The Lord is calling me. And maybe he is, but that's not quite enough. You see, the danger is that we treat the three lights like a mathematical formula or worse, like it's some sort of magical incantation. That like if, if they're all there, then it's a green light. If they're not there, then it's a red light. Listen, the three lights are common conduits through which God speaks, but they are not sufficient to know when it is God's voice. Now, obviously, Scripture, if it says something, it's God's, like that's God's word, you know, uh, go make disciples of all nations. Yes, that's some, you don't have to pray about that, okay? You're supposed to share the gospel, right? But I mean particular things in your life that you're trying to see if God is delineating your, the trajectory of your life in a particular way. That's what I'm talking about here. So the three lights are common conduits through which God speaks, but they're not sufficient to know when it is God's voice. You see, just because I have eggs and flour and sugar, that don't mean I have a cake. There's something more that is needed. Sometimes, after all, sometimes circumstances are against you. Sometimes things are not lining up as they should. Sometimes you doubt yourself immensely. You're like, there's no way I could do that. And yet God's still calling you to do it. So there's something else that we need. There's an overarching criteria that has to guide all of our decisions, which is this. We must learn to recognize the quality of God's voice. The sound, the feel, the quality of God's voice. When I call my wife on the phone, I don't say, hi, this is Phil. You know, she, I mean, she can see who's calling, so she already knows, but pretend that wasn't the case. I would just start talking, and within one word, she would know who was talking to her because she knows my voice. That's how we're supposed to be with God. We must learn to recognize the quality of God's voice. And honestly, I think there's wisdom in in understanding. And I had a spiritual mentor for many years, and he always talked about how, you know, God works differently with different people. And so for some of us, you know, he may present himself a little bit different. But you come to understand how God speaks to you best for you. And that's, I think, kind of one of the wonderful parts of the journey with the Lord that we get to take in our lives. But if I were to tell you what I understand the quality of God's voice to be like, like what, what does it, quote, sound like when God speaks? Um, he, here's how I'd sum it up. I'd say God's voice has a clear authority that brings peace. I believe that God's voice has a clear authority 
that brings peace. Let's break that down into two sections. So the first part, clear authority. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah is on the run for his life. God takes him to a mountain called Mount Horeb. Scholars think it might actually go by another name, Mount Sinai, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so God brings him to this mountain, this famous mountain, this significant place that represents God meeting with people. And he says, hey, Elijah, I'm about to pass by. Whoa, cool. And so first there's this powerful wind, so strong that it it starts to tear apart the rocks and the mountains. But it says God wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake. Then there was a fire. God wasn't in any of those things. And finally we read this. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. See, in this story, God's voice is juxtaposed with some of the most powerful forces in nature. And the point is that however powerful those forces are, they lack the authority of God. See, it is the gentle whisper that causes Elijah to pull the cloak over his face. In the same way, John depicts Jesus as a shepherd whose gentle voice nonetheless carries authority for the sheep. They're not going to listen to somebody else. They're going to listen to the voice of their shepherd. And here, listen, God usually doesn't yell. You know that about God? I'm not going to say he can't or that he wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't think he usually does. God usually doesn't yell, but his voice is always clear. He doesn't argue with you. There will be this kind of firm, fixed word that doesn't, it doesn't force itself on you, but it refuses to budge, kind of like a stubborn mule. And so you'll be sitting in church, listening to a sermon, or maybe you're reading your Bible or something like that, and then something starts to form in your heart, and you're like, oh no, (laughs) Uh, that must not be God. Nah, I'm going to ignore that for a little bit, and you'll just go on with your day, and then pretty soon it'll pop up again. You'll be like, oh, still there. And then days later, hasn't moved. You've tried to ignore it. Still there. It's probably God. This clear authority that just kind of plants itself there and doesn't move. He's not going to yell at you. He's going to be like, hey, I'm here, and I'm working on you right here. This is something I got for you. But here's the thing. Once God's word is obeyed, here's the second half. It brings peace. He's a God of peace. And for me, this is how I know it's God. Because the moment my heart gives into obedience, even if it's a stronghold in my life, something I did not want to give up, something I did not want to do, as soon as I do it, boom, there's peace. Before we planted Table Church, we actually interviewed for another job in another state. And um, the way they do it in churches is you'll like, you know, have a few phone interviews or whatever, and then they'll bring you to the, they'll bring you out there to the church to do a weekend of interviews, getting to know people. Um, and, and that's what we did. They actually, they brought us out there. Now this, this job was, when people ask me what, like, what's your dream job, Phil? I'm like, PGA Tour golfer, that's what I would love to do. If that doesn't work out, hasn't worked out yet, my number two would be a teaching pastor. Now you might be like, what's a teaching pastor? A teaching pastor is a very special, unique role because the teaching pastor is just, a lot of times, just responsible for simply teaching the gospel. 
teaching the Bible to people in the church. And for me, that's like amazing because that's like all the fun stuff for me, minus all the less fun stuff like budgets and administration and stuff like that. I just get to show up and do what I'm doing right now. That sounds amazing, you know? And that's what they wanted. The senior pastor there, he was like, hey man, I've listened to probably 10 or 15 of your sermons. I think this would be great. I kind of knew them. They were on the same, we were on the same district and stuff like that. It was a great church. And so we went out there. We took a weekend. We went out there to visit. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of things about this that we weren't sure about, but it's like the Lord just started to answer our prayers. For one thing, some of our best friends in the world live in that town. This is about 10 hours from Sioux Falls, by the way. Some of our best friends in the world live in that town. But then we were like, you know, we, uh, we have an adopted daughter, and it's really important to us to, for her to be around people like her. And, um, and I don't know, I don't, we wouldn't have any relationships like that. Well, guess what? At this particular church, there was more than one family that had adopted from Congo. The principal of the elementary school was from Congo. And we're just like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, you're like knocking our prayers down one by one. And so we got home from the weekend and we went out for a date to pray about it. And we said, oh, God's got us cornered, doesn't he? I was kind of pushing for it because it was like my dream job. I wanted to make it work. But we we said, okay, I think we'd be disobedient not to go. And we came home that night having made the decision to go. And then the next day I got really sick. And I came home early from work and laid in bed, just sick to my stomach. And I'm laying in bed and pretty soon, remember what I said, that thing about a stubborn mule, like God's voice? Pretty soon this, this thought popped into my head that I was supposed to call the pastor and tell him we weren't coming. And I was like, whatever. We made the decision. We prayed about it. We know. Look at all the prayers got answered. That's silly. And it wouldn't move. And it wouldn't go away. And I lay there for hours with it. And pretty soon it grew. And I was just like, okay, God, I think you're trying to tell me something. And you're saying you need to call him and tell him you're not coming. And so I grabbed my phone and I sent him a text and I said, can I call you? And the moment that that text left, it was like, a peace fell on me and I physically felt better. And so he said, sure. He got right back to me. He said, sure, you can call me. And I, I called him and I said, I'm like kind of crying. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm sorry. This is so great. You guys were wonderful, but I don't think we're supposed to come. He's like, really? I thought we were tracking, man. I was like, I know. I'm so sorry. Uh, not long after that, Table Church would appear on the horizon you know, one clear way to know if you're in God's will is that even when it seems crazy, you have, you have a remarkable piece about it. And I think I'm getting to a point in my life where I can look back at num a number of times where Natalie and I have defied common sense in order to follow what we think God was telling us to do. And each time there's been a remarkable piece that's been involved. I'm not saying that's always the case, but it's often the case. When Elijah hears God's voice, God comforts him. When Job hears God's voice, his soul is finally at rest. When Moses hears and obeys God, his life gains like a laser focus that it didn't have before. We know it's God because it brings a peace and a certainty unlike anything else. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves today is this, how do I become the kind of person who can recognize God's voice? How do I start? If, if, if it's not, if you wouldn't call yourself that person now, and by the way, I'm not an expert. I think there's been moments in my life, I've shared some of them with you today. Uh, but look, we're all just on a journey. 
a lifetime journey towards this sort of relationship with God. So how do we become the kind of people where this becomes more and more the case? Number one, I'd suggest this. You need to be humble before God. Be humble before God. John Wesley describes the kind of person I'm talking about. He says, there is a soft, yielding spirit, a mildness and sweetness, a tenderness of soul which words cannot express. Listen, one of the best ways you can be sure that someone's full of garbage is if they boldly proclaim that they've heard God's voice, but their hearts are full of pride, you never see them repent. You never see them say they're sorry for anything that they did. They're absolutely sure of themselves all the time. Big red flag. John Wesley describes that kind of person. He says, instead of being more meek and gentle and teachable and more swift to hear and slow to speak, they are more slow to hear and swift to speak, more unready to learn of anyone, more fiery and vehement in their temper, and eager in their conversation. See, some people think that they are the infallible word of God. They are not. Unless they are Jesus, they are not. A true disciple of Jesus usually has this quiet, kind of non-anxious confidence about themselves. They will rarely assert themselves as experts. They will be willing to talk of their shortcomings, but they will have a grace and a humility and a wisdom about them. So be humble before the Lord. Number two, practice. Practice hearing God. Practice with Him. Look, there's no substitute for quiet, listening prayer in a believer's life. The more of this that we do, I believe, the more we will be attuned to God's voice. The more we will be like those sheep who can distinguish between the voice of their master and the voice of a stranger. It just takes time. It takes practice. There's no replacing for for getting alone with the Lord. I even think it's okay to like experiment in prayer a little bit. In fact, this last Zambia trip, when we got back, Tara, our team leader, she challenged us with something. She said, hey, let's take a few weeks or months and let's all pick one thing that's important to us and let's just pray about it every single day. Let's journal about it. Let's ask God to work in it and let's get together after that and let's see what God does. And today's the day we're actually getting together after church. And so I've been praying about this thing uh, every, every day now for several months. And specifically, I've got a couple things actually. I won't tell you both, but one of them was just like, we're, we're trying to help a, a lady in our, in our church um, to get on her feet. And it's just been like one closed door after another for her. And, and just this week, we had a breakthrough. It's like, oh, that's what we've been praying for this whole time. That's what we've needed this whole time. And God is working in it. And so what's that thing that you might just say, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to take the next six months and every day I'm going to pray for this thing. You know? Like maybe we need to do that Sometimes it's like, Lord, you get up in the morning, you say, God, I'm going to see a lot of people today. Would you please tell me, just tell me in my heart, which person do I need to minister to today? And just see if God gives you a word or a name or a face. I've done that before too, and God has, God has answered those prayers. So just start practicing. Get quiet and get alone with God. Henry Nouwen said, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Have you been in the furnace lately? So what part of your life do you need to hear from God? Don't let this be the end. Let this be the beginning. And by the way, we have some tools for you to help you learn how to do this better. Uh, just go to our discipleship pathway, discipleship.guide. There's a whole chapter on prayer. Get with a friend and start going through that stuff. We've got these exercises in there designed to help you do just this, what we're talking about here today. And I encourage you to check it out. But also think about the, the prayer counseling team. Talk to Megan if that sounds like something you'd like to be trained for. Uh, maybe you want to 
join the, the prayer table group that I talked about earlier. We'll be talking about that as well as some other groups, uh, well, all the groups actually, starting next week. We want to make that a priority this fall is to get you into community if you're not. Or maybe the prayer room that we're going to start here soon will be something that's beneficial to you. Maybe you just need a place that's not your office or your house to get away and to be quiet before the Lord in. This will be what that's for. And there will be times where we'll probably try to do like a, a, camp, a prayer campaign. Maybe we try to do like a 24-hour prayer set where we have unbroken prayer for 24 hours in the prayer room. That kind of stuff. So what's your next step in prayer? What's your next step in learning to hear the voice of God? I believe that he wants to speak to you. We just need to make ourselves more available. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you for the fact that you are a God that speaks. Um, and Lord, at the very least, if we feel like, oh, I just, God never speaks to me. You do. You do speak to us. It's called the Bible. And all we have to do is open it. And we can, we can encounter your very words. And that's what we've done today heard your words in scripture. And so loud now, Lord, transfer that message into our hearts. And Lord, pull us deeper into you. Thank you, God. We love you. Make us a church that lives and eats and breathes prayer, I pray. In your name. Amen.